We would like to welcome you to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, and he has been teaching through a series on 2 Peter. We hope that you will join us as we begin Getting in the Word. Here's Pastor Stuart. I've entitled the message, Understanding Our Future Will Affect Our Behavior. Again, we've made it through the last uh, few chapters of 2 Peter. We've journeyed through 1 Peter in the past, and now we've come to the close of 2 Peter, the last sermon in this series. And I hope that it's been a challenge to you. I hope that you have been encouraged, you've been enlightened, you have been made aware of what false teachers look like. And so with just a little overview, I want us to consider, if you would, um, the first chapter by which we looked and see Peter is encouraging us to live holy lives. And then as we come into chapter 2, we find that Peter points out heresy, false teachers and what they look like. And then lastly, in chapter 3, really, it's pointing to our understanding of our future hope and how that should affect our lives as believers and Christians and followers of Christ. So chapter 3, we're trying to understand that we need to avoid false teachers by understanding our future. Two weeks ago, we looked at understanding our future and the fact that it will protect against future mockers as they will arise in the last days. And today I want us to understand our future will affect our behavior. Peter simply wants us to understand that we are to be looking for the coming of Christ. And the fact that we are looking for the coming of Christ, that will affect our behavior. It will affect how we live out the Christian life. It will affect how we walk in our relationship with our loved ones, our families, our friends, the church, and in our communities, and in our workplaces. It should transform our lives as believers and followers of Christ in how we deal with the world for which we live. If. We are waiting for the return of Jesus. We talked uh, two weeks ago about a teacher leaving the classroom in grade school. And if you knew they were going to return, your party time was short. But you would always have a good little time when the teacher left the room. But you knew they were coming back so you couldn't get out of control too bad. Listen, we, we need to be looking for Christ to return. We need to be living with an expectation that He is coming back as He has promised, and God is a promise-keeping God. Now, we don't know when, but we know that God, when He is certain of the time, He will come back and we should be ready for that return at any given moment because He will indeed come like a thief in the night. Let's begin this morning by starting, if you will, turn to the book of Second Peter. We'll be looking at chapter 3, verses 11 to 18. That will be our text this morning. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, <clears throat> what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming, the day of God. 
because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt away with intense heat. But according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Boy, can you imagine the day? Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you, as also in his letters, speaking in them of the things in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of Scripture to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Three things I want us to pull from this text today. There are many more I'm certain that we could talk about, but within our allotted time, I want us to consider these three things from the text. First, I want us that to grasp understanding our future should influence our actions. Secondly, understanding our future should influence our appearance. And thirdly, understanding our future should influence our awareness. The fact remains true that how you view the last days will influence your actions as believers. For example, if I were to ask you this morning, are you ready to go to heaven? You may say, sure, that's if you were born again because of your position that you have been found righteous in Christ. You know that if you were to die today or Christ would return, you would go to be with Christ. Not because of who you are as a special person, but because of the righteousness of Christ. He has declared you righteous, justified before Almighty God through your faith in Jesus Christ. But if I were to ask you, are you ready for Christ to return? Even as a believer, you may have a different response. You may think for yourself, there are some things I would like to get right. There are some things as a Christian, even in my own life, that, that I would really like to get cleaned up and prepared for the Lord to return. Because... Boy, I could imagine on the day in which He bursts through those clouds how many of us will be doing that which we know dishonors the Lord. So we may respond differently. Maybe there are some things in our home that we might want to get rid of because they are not pleasing to God. Maybe there's some sin in your life that you need to get rid of, eradicate in your life before He returns. Now we know that we are declared right before Almighty God, not because of the works that we have, but because of the righteousness of Christ imputed to us through His death, burial, and resurrection. But nevertheless, we will give an account for our lives as Christians. So we should desire to get cleaned up. 
We should desire to progressively be sanctified in our walk with Christ. We should, we should desire to be holy as believers and followers of Christ because we have been bought with a price. The life of the Son of Almighty God. And He has given us everything pertaining to life and to what? Godliness. There is, listen, a certain urgency. The point I'm trying to make is that understanding our future, listen, should ultimately influence our actions. Our actions are affected by what we think our future looks like. Now, if you are a non-believer and you've never put your faith in Christ alone, you don't think He's going to return. And this will give you a different perspective. It will give you a different objective. It will give you a different outlook on life. Because you don't believe He's coming back. a matter of fact, many believe that it's a hoax. Your whole purpose of living life will be different. You will be focused on the now rather than the future. Isn't it amazing that we know that we're going to live for eternity? And yet we put all the emphasis in this few years here on this decaying and burning earth? Listen, when you don't have Christ, you don't have an eternal perspective. You don't understand that all things will perish. It doesn't matter how much you obtain, how much you have, it will not stand the test of fire on this side of eternity. All your works, all your efforts, all your good deeds, all of those things that are not found in Christ, listen, will expire. But for us followers of Christ that have put their faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel, for it is the power to save, not your good deeds. For Titus reminds us that in chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, that it is by His grace and by His mercy, not based off of the deeds we've done in righteousness, but according rather to His great mercy. We should have a different outlook. So Peter began, since all these things, verse 11, are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to His promise, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This earth as we know it, the heavens as we know it, all the things here, all of our stuff, our achievements, our joys, our toys, everything that is non-eternal will burn. And since all these things will be done away with by fire, referring back to verse 10 where he said, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up? Because of this, what sort of people ought we be? What kind of person ought you be? As a woman, as a man, as a child, what ought, what ought your 
purpose be? Now, I know it kind of sounds like Peter's looking for an answer here, but again, it's a rhetorical question, isn't it? He doesn't need the answer. He's not really looking for a response when he asks, what sort of people ought you be in holy conduct and godliness? Peter has already talked about this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 to 16, when he says, but like the holy ones, you who called you, be holy yourselves in all of your behaviors because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That, that, that is a process, folks. That, that, is a, that is a desire by which only you can make a cognitive desire to put off the old and, and, and live your lives in a way that would honor and exalt the, the God of our heaven. Because if we're going to be honest, we know that none of us can be holy in our deeds all the time. For as long as we are captured in this flesh, we will be tempted to live in the flesh. But I say walk by the Spirit, he says. And you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. For the flesh and the Spirit are in opposition to one another. Nevertheless, we should desire to live in holy conduct. We are called to be holy. Peter has just taught us this in his second book. That we are, what, partakers of the divine nature. The, 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 the beautiful transaction of regeneration is that here you were dead in your trespasses and sins, unable to do anything but desire the, the fleshly desires, the things. Why? Because you are a slave to unrighteousness. But when the God of heaven comes in and gives you new life and you are birthed into eternal position as a child of Almighty God, He gives you new desires. The old things what have passed away and behold the new have come there should be a desire to live holy lives now i know we live in a generation in the culture that wants to call that legalism but that's biblical a matter of fact hebrews 12 14 says that without holiness without sanctification you won't even sniff heaven's door So this hogwash of contemporary Christianity that says I've been born again from above and yet lives no life to honor God is hogwash. you got nothing if there's no change. Because the God that created this heavens and the earth and every life that lives here, when He regenerates you and gives you life, He says He will complete the work. There will be change. It's the easy part is like my kid saying he thinks he's big enough to take his dad. <laughs> You're doing the easy part, son. The talk. It's easy to talk the talk. It's another thing to walk the walk. It's one thing to say, yeah, I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe I'm a Christian. The demons believe and tremble. That makes them not a Christian. Listen, the, the life that is transformed by Almighty God is a life that is changed for the glory of God. Not perfection, but direction. 
You are perfect in the eyes of Almighty God. Why? Because He has declared you right before Him, justified, legally declared right. But nevertheless, we are to not simply be hearers of the Word, but what? Doers of the Word. Christians are considered in their position holy before God. But we are to be changed in our actions as well. We we are called to be holy, yes, in, in our position, but we are also called to be godly in our practice. And when you're not, which you will at some point fail, you need to repent and ask God to forgive you. And don't let that hold you down. Because there are seasons of life when the devil is on your back and he is tempting you like never before. And there are certain circumstances in which the Lord allows because he is only under the control of Almighty God even though he is the God of this world. This is his place. He has his authority. But I want you to know that when the devil's attacking, you can be forgiven when you fail. If I were to tell you you needed to be perfect, that would be legalism. You are saved by grace through faith, and this not of yourselves, lest no man boast, but it is a free gift of God. Understanding that the end is coming, that we will give an account as Christians before Almighty God, we need to be looking for His coming. And we need to be daily in repentance. Taking up our cross and following Him. Because I'm going to tell you the temptation is going to be walk out of these doors and get right back into the car and go back to normal life. When you haven't been living a way that honors God. But let me tell you, the Scriptures are very clear. If you are a changed man and woman of God, there will be conviction on your life and He will discipline those He loves. And that discipline may look different, but if He fails to discipline you, the Scripture says you're an illegitimate child. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be an illegitimate child. So we need to confess more often our sins. Understanding the end will come, that we'll give an account should drive us to look forward to His comings and live like He is coming. Not as these pseudo-fake Christians that don't expect His return. So we are to be holy, to live holy lives, lives of godliness. But that's not all of the actions that the future should stir up in us. Knowing that this world as we know it is going up in flames. Think about that. I mean, can you imagine the power of Almighty God? I mean, how amazing this created world is, how vast it is. I'm just going to burn it. I'm going to build a new one. Wow. I mean, that's amazing. But it should drive us. It should stir up our thinking. 
Not only to be holy like the Lord, godly like Christ, but verse 12, looking for it and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to His promise, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness would dwell. That's what we want, isn't it? That, that, isn't that what we want in our lives? That, that there is no more sin? There is no more satanic activity? That we can actually live lives that honor God in, in absolute perfection? That the world in which we live will not be the majority of the crazy people who hate God and want you to buy into their agenda? But it will be a world filled with holiness and righteousness and goodness. But listen, that is the place for which we hope to go. It won't happen here. So while we're here, and the wheat and the tare are mixed together, and we are facing days that we've never seen before, know that there is a time in which the Lord will return, and He will make all things new. We need to be looking one action that should come from knowing the earth will be burned up should be the fact that we are looking for His coming with intent, with excitement, with expectation. I mean, we, we believers should have a, a, a focus on the future. Because this world for which we live is sick and perverted and it is very discouraging. But there will come a day we know the end of the book. God wins. The question is, whose side are you on? Are you a child of God? Or are you a child of Satan? There is no if, ands, or buts, or betweens. There's no lukewarm Christianity. You're either for Him or you're against Him. You're either a child or an illegitimate child. And I can't make that decision for you and you can't make it for me and you can't make it for your children. No, they need to respond to the grace that's been given to them by Almighty God. And it's, a, it's always astonishing to me week after week after week in God's patience and God's love and God's mercy and God's prolonging how many, many, many reject the Gospel over and over and over. It's like eating a burger over and over and over and not expecting to get big like me. It will come to an end, folks. We need to respond to the grace that's been extended by Almighty God for such a time as this. Now is the appointed time to repent and believe the Gospel. We should be in Living with expectation. Scripture is consistent about this expectation. He says here in 1 Peter 4, 7, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. I mean, isn't this so easy to stumble at and just take Christianity frivolously and not be serious but just... Throw a prayer here, throw a prayer there, throw a prayer everywhere, and never with intent and desire in our heart to see the outcome, but rather doing it out of duty. This world will suck your joy 
It will suck your time. It will bring you in and captivate you. But here we are reminded, listen, the end is at hand. Be serious. Be watchful. We should be praying this event in. We should be begging and pleading with the Lord to come back. Come, Lord Jesus. He says in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but rather exhorting one another, and so much the more as the day approaches. Listen, we should be looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we are looking for that with anticipation, it should draw us closer together in fellowship. But what's happening today? The enemy is dividing. The enemy doesn't want you to come together. The enemy wants nobody to go to church. Look at Canada. Close the church. Let nobody have it. And when you do, you get locked up in front of your children. It's heartbreaking. The day may come when they walk through the door and they put me in prison for preaching the gospel. So be it. They need Jesus in jail too. But listen to me very clearly. We should... Be more in fellowship with one another. We should be spending more time together. We should be engaging with one another more and more as the day approaches. Exhorting one another. There is an expectation of this day's arrival among the Christians. He says here in 1 John 2.18, Little children, it is the last hour. That you've heard the Antichrist is coming. And even now many Antichrists have come. By which we know this, that the last hour. It's the last hour. That's wonderful news. If you're saved. It ain't so much wonderful news if you never put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. That's devastating news for you. So we are to not only be looking for, but hastening in the coming of the Lord. Now the word here, hastening, means to speed up. How are you to speed up that coming of the day? Listen, that should make your mind start working. Because that's saying that we are, are saying that we have a part in bringing about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only should we be looking for it, but we should be hurrying it along. Well, pastor, that's hard to grasp, isn't it? God is sovereign. Yes, He is. He is absolutely in control. He is sovereign over all things. He created all things. All things are created through Him and for Him. He is above all things. But listen, He uses you and me as tools to accomplish His grand purpose. We should be looking. We should be helping. We should be speeding up the process. Hastening as believers. If you recall in Matthew 24, 14, in His discourse on the last day, Jesus instructs His followers to what? Proclaim the gospel. What? To all nations. And then the end will come. 
If you want to hasten in, if you want to be a part of bringing in the return of Christ to see in the fulfillment of everlasting life with Almighty God, then what we need to do is open our mouths and proclaim Jesus Christ. Listen, put away the fog machines. Cut off the laser shows. Stop trying to entertain people and preach the gospel, church. We need the gospel to get back in the pulpits. Because when the gospel is preached and the last one comes, He will return. You want to help speed up the process, share the gospel. But if the statistics are right, 80% more have never once shared the gospel from beginning to end. That's devastating if that statistic is true. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. You see, and you understand our future should influence our actions. If we've been part in bringing about the return of Christ, let us share the gospel. Be creative. God has given you a platform He hasn't given me. God has given you a workplace He hasn't given me. God has given you different gifts for which He hasn't given me. God has put you where God has put you for such a time as this. To preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. It should influence our actions. It should speed up the coming of the Lord. Now, God is still sovereign because He knows when the last one will hear and believe the gospel, the good news. But again, we are the tools that He uses. Can I ask you this? You know, I have a tool bag, and there's lots of tools in it. Some of them I never use. Some of them I used often. So I want to ask you the question, are you a tool that's being used by God? Or are you just stowed away in the bag? There, there, there is the question, are you a tool that's being used by Almighty God to bring in the Gospel, to bring in the Second Coming? We need to be looking, verse 12, we need to be looking, verse 13, for the new heaven, new earth, which righteousness dwells. That's where I want to be. That's what I want to come about. Let us share Jesus with all we can and be looking for the new heaven, and the new earth, which righteousness will dwell. John saw it coming, didn't he? This new heaven and this new earth in Revelation 21, 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. We have a promise of a new. So understanding our future should indeed influence our actions, but secondly, understanding our future should influence our appearance. Most people own a mirror. You got up this morning and you had bedhead and my kids sometimes come in with the bedhead. But most of you got in front of a mirror and you tried to fix yourself up and make yourself look nice to make sure your appearance was okay. They want to look good for their husbands and their wives and their friends and 
They want their children to look nice. Because why? They care about their appearance. And I'm sure most of you cared enough about what you look like again this morning to fix yourself up. But when's the last time we thought about the way we look underneath? You see, there are many days I sit around and I think about my interior and how much work God still has yet to do in my life. And I'm encouraged to know that God is at work. That God is in the process of consistently changing and making something new. Sanctifying me more into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, because the reality is, is we can dress up and look good like we do most Sundays and, and yet be rotting underneath. Decaying underneath. Peter wants us to consider what the inside looks like. He says here in verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless, blameless, and regard the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you, as also in his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do, as also the rest of Scripture, to their own destruction. Listen, because we are looking for these very things, the coming of the Lord, the new heaven, the new earth, we should be diligent, the text says, specifically in four areas in what we look like. First, we are to be diligently found in peace. Do you see a world of peace right now? Nope. They're trying to scare the pants off of you. That ain't the way God operates. We are to fear not the things of man, nor the things of this world, because this is not our home. We are to be diligently found in peace, this appearance that we should seek to have is first peace. Peter, if you recall, talked about this diligence already as he spoke to and about believers and how they are to apply all diligence in their peace to certain qualities listed in first, uh, uh, 2 Peter 1, 5-7. Now the Greek word spudezo uh, simply means to make every effort, to do it quickly. Now guys, don't go and tell your wife in the morning to Spudezo out of the bathroom while she's trying to get things looking right. But Peter wants us to hurry up. To be found diligent in peace. Can I ask you an honest question? Are you at peace this morning? And do you live a life of peace as you walk through your daily lives, are you experiencing a life freedom uh, free from worry? Or are you not at peace? Listen, I hope you know that Christ is our peace. 
And if we are not found in peace, it's not Christ that has caused that, but maybe the lack of faith we have. Maybe it's a misunderstanding of God and His promises. Whatever it is, we need to have the appearance of men and women of peace. Because Christ is peace. And if you are born again, you are indwelt with the Spirit of God. And what does He say? My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Peace can only come from trusting in Jesus Christ. You might not be happy this morning, but let me ask you, do you have peace? You might be struggling this morning because of money issues. You may be dealing with some car issues. Talked to a gentleman yesterday that said he went on a trip and took his boat somewhere and between here and Stewart, Florida, he had to replace three tires on his trailer. I wonder how much peace he had after the second one. Maybe you're not at peace this morning because the job is tough. Maybe your game is off. Maybe you're burnt out. You're lonely. You've had enough of being sick. Maybe your marriage is on the ropes. Can I ask you a question? In the midst of any of those, do you find peace? There's a big difference between peace and happiness. Happiness is cheap. Peace is everlasting. Peace is given by the Lord Jesus Christ to know that we worship a sovereign God who controls every aspect of our life. Have you ever wondered when someone goes through a tragedy how they can still live in peace? Listen, it's because they are rooted and founded in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He says here in Philippians 4, 4 to 7, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I love how he reminds us of that imperative twice. Because sometimes we don't need to be told once, we need to be told twice. It's sometimes three times. And for me, maybe four times. He says in verse 5, Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will what? Guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. He says, peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Let your heart not be troubled. Is that you today? Are you at peace knowing that Christ is near? That He is standing at the door knocking? Are you at peace knowing that Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead? We're called to be men and women of peace. But you will never experience the peace of God until you're at peace with God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Secondly, we are to be spotless and blameless. 
pure and unblemished. Can you do that on your own? Of course not. You, 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 you can fight tooth and nail to be found pure and unblemished. But listen, only Christ can make you pure and unblemished. Only the blood of Jesus can make you white as snow. Only the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Only the substitutionary atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. His death in your place can make you right before Almighty God. It's only through a personal relationship that you can be found spotless and blameless before the Lord. It's living a life relying on the Spirit of God who lives in you as a Christian. There are some of these appearances that we need to have as Christians. There needs to be a bigger focus on the inside than the outside. Because it's God who looks at the heart while man looks at the outward appearance. So I am talking not about how we look to man, but how we look before God. How we deal with one another, how we deal with our employees, how we deal with our spouses, our children. Listen, I can fool about anybody, but I tell you who I can't fool, and that's that beautiful woman right there and my seven children. They know who I am because they see me on a daily basis. I can act like anything for a season. But who are you when you're alone? What do the people who are around you all the time think about you? We need to have the appearance of peace. Blameless, spotless. We are told here to be found with peace, to be spotless and blameless. In verse 15, we are to regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you. Regard the patience of the Lord as salvation. We, we should be carrying around the appearance of gospel sharers as evangelists. Now, please understand one thing. You may not have the gift of evangelism, but that doesn't mean you can abdicate your responsibility to share the gospel. I have the gift of evangelism, meaning that God has gifted me the desire in my heart. If I'm not preaching the gospel, I'm not living with a joyful life. Why? Because I'm not fulfilling my God-given gift. So turn every conversation into gospel conversation. But we're all called to preach the gospel. We're all called to be men and women who share our faith. We need not to disregard our responsibility to preach the good news to a world who desperately needs it. We can advocate our responsibility. That simply means to put away one's responsibility. But let us not advocate our responsibility to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. God has been patient toward the lost. And Peter says, 
Hey, think of it as an opportunity for salvation. He hasn't returned yet. That doesn't maybe seem like a big deal to you if you've already been born again. But imagine those that have never been born again. It's a big deal that He's being patient towards you, wishing that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance, that they would say, indeed, listen, I have sinned. I have broken the law of God. I have been separated from God. Isaiah 59, 2. Our sins have made a separation between me and God. So how in the world am I to be made right? It's by putting my faith in the One who can make me right is Jesus Christ. He's been patient, giving you the opportunity to do that today. But He may not wait much longer. So let us be men and women who tell others about Christ, the good news. Peter calls God's grace that leads to salvation patience. In verse 9, he says, Paul says in Romans 2, 4, Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not, not, not knowing that the kindness of God, what, leads you to repentance? So, so evaluate your lives and make sure that you are certain that Almighty God who is, has not returned yet is being patient so that you might believe the gospel. That you might repent and turn from your sins and trust Christ. Peter continues. Verse 16. Talking about Paul as in all of his letters. Speaking in them of these same things. This is the double. You read the Bible and it's all pointing to the return of Christ. The Old Testament looked forward to it. The cross looks to it. And today the church is waiting upon it. Paul talked about God's patience. And how that is God's kindness. And how it leads to repentance. But we are tools in which God uses. So let us speak. While we have a voice. While He is still patient. He says... The things in which Paul, which the untaught and unstable distort, in verse 16, as they do also the rest of Scripture to their own destruction. He is jumping back on the false teachers here. This is a, talking to Christians, but he's jumping back on the false teachers and their false teachings. But we need to know the future so that we can know that these people twist and distort as they do the rest of Scripture to their own destruction. They may have some kind of temporal victory here on this earth under their leader God, Satan of the world, and, and, but there will come a day when those days will end and their own destruction will come about. We need to focus on how God will be coming back and we can be found in Christ. We need to be found as gospel givers, pure, spotless, blameless, understanding that our future should influence our appearance. That's important to understand, but lastly, I want you to understand our future should influence our awareness. Peter wants us to be aware, not to fall asleep and not to miss these men of error. I'm not talking about men that, that are in error on accident. I'm talking about pseudo-Christians, fake Christians that are, that are erring on purpose for the benefit of themselves. 
Peter says, you therefore, beloved, know this before, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Listen, since you already know this, be on your guard. Brothers and sisters, I plead with you today to be aware. To be aware of what's happening in the church, in the school system, in our country, in our government. Be aware. These are Christians that Peter is talking to. Peter points to the experience that believers have had with false teachers who have endured and who have entered into the Christian community with the purpose of twisting the meaning of the Word of God. He says, be on guard. Be aware. We need to make sure that we're not carried away by the error that they have and fall from your own steadfastness. Listen, by keeping those too close of company with people of error, you run the risk of being enticed by deceitful teachings. Listen, I, I, I don't know how else to say this. If you spend your time in the garbage can, you're going to stink. That, that analogy works. If you eat McDonald's 365 days a year, you're going to get big. Or you're going to die from a heart attack. If, if, you, if, if you let trash in, trash will come out. If you allow your children to spend too much time with people who are pagan, they will have a stronger influence on your kids than your kids will have on them. So if you send your kids to Roman's palace and you wonder why they turn out like little Romans, you know why. The reality is, is we need to make sure that we don't run the risk of being enticed by deceitful teachings. Don't, don't, don't hang out with people of error. When the Jehovah's Witness come and knock on your door, tell them you ain't interested. Unless you are really sharp with the Word of God. Because let me tell you what, the devil is crafty. And when the Mormon comes and says, oh, we believe in the same Jesus, you, know, you look at him and say, you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. Go on your way. Unless you're sharp with the Word of God and you're able to defend your faith. Because the enemy comes in many, many facets. Listen, we have to be careful that we know the Bible well enough so that we can stand against the crafty and enticements of their trickery. Like a fisherman trying to entice that bait to eat that lure. We spent some time on the lake and my son Hunter was very persistent. He fished, casted over and over and over. What are y'all doing? We're going inside. Well, I'm going to stay and fish. Over and over. Bait change. Bait change. Bait change. And then, two days later, he caught a fish. 
It took him a while, but he got him. And let me tell you what, that's the way the enemy works. He will keep right at you until he gets you. Listen, there are people in this community that teach error. There are people in this world for which we live that will drag you down. They will do their best to take you away from the gospel of truth. They will do their best to pull you away from the Word of God and the church of God. And they will drag you into their false teachings. So don't be dragged away by these people. They will do what it takes to twist the Scriptures. And just to clarify one thing, because I heard it said when speaking of false teachers that they are called good men. There is no such thing as a good man. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That there is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who seeks after God, no, not one. Listen, we are all in the same boat. We are sinful. We need a Savior, Jesus Christ. You know the old saying, well, why does bad things happen to good people? R.C. Sproul said, I've yet to meet a good man. Listen, we are all wicked. And if the Holy Spirit didn't keep us from back, I would take you out because you made me angry. That's why I call babies uh, vipers and diapers. Because they would kill you if they could. But they are too small, typically, to do that. But if we had no restraint of Almighty God, boy, we would be as evil as possibly we could. Listen, don't let them pull you away. These wolfs in sheep's clothing in our day. You need to be on alert. You need to be aware so that you don't fall away from your own steadfastness. We know they seek after new believers, young Christians. And so we need not to get all wrapped up with men of error, women of error. Listen, they're both these days. And they have platforms. Just watch TV and look at all the false prosperity gospel teachers out there. It's nauseating. So like those that teach baptism save, that try to keep you away from the church, don't fall into their errors. All the mysticism that's indwelt the communities, don't let them distort you. But rather grow in the grace and the knowledge, verse 18, of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter wants us to learn the Word of God, to learn the Word of God from sound teachers and old fast to sound doctrine so that we can stand against the schemes of the enemy. So how about you this morning? Do you know Christ personally? Listen, that's where it begins. Have you ever asked Jesus to save you, to step in and redeem you and give you a new life in Christ? Well, you can do that today. You can put your faith in Jesus. And to Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity forever and ever. Amen. Listen, understanding your future will protect you against false teachers. Peter wants us to understand they are coming. And they are coming with a vengeance. And be alert. Be alert. Be on the lookout. Protect one another and stand firm in the faith until the day of redemption. If you've never trusted in Christ, boy, He could come back today. So you better believe. Let's pray. Hey, thanks for joining us on our program today. We pray that you were challenged, encouraged, and hope that you will stay connected with us for the weeks to come as Pastor Stewart walks us through 2 Peter. 
If you don't have a church home, Pastor Stewart would like to personally invite you to join their worship service at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina. They meet each week at 11 a.m. For more information about the church, visit them at familybiblefellowship.org. Thanks again for being with us. God bless and have a great week.